Our topic for this Sabbath morning, God's washing machine. The story is told of a devout Christian by the name of Old John who was once asked by a fisherman friend of his, Say, John, what is it up there at your church that keeps you going back week after week? You go to the same church, you shake hands with the same people, you sing the same hymns, you listen to the same preacher. Why do you keep going back week after week? And John said to his fisherman friend, Well, before I answer your question, let me first ask you a question. Don't you often go fishing in the same spot in the same water? And his fisherman friend thought a moment and said, well, I, I guess quite frequently I do. And quick as a flash, John replied, oh, no, you don't. You are fishing in different water. The water you fished in yesterday, it's swept downstream. It's gone out to sea. You're in different water. And he says, the same way for me every week when I go to church. God has something fresh, a fresh blessing for me every week when I go. And I trust that will become your experience as well. There are several questions we want to consider in our study today. First of all, is it important whether or not we go to church? How often should we go to church? What is the purpose of attending church? And does God really care what church we attend? Let's begin with the question of church attendance. How often should we go? Once a year or twice? Or more often? Let's see what Jesus did. He's our example. Come with me to Luke 4, verse 16. Take your Bible. And turn to Luke 4, verse 16. Jesus is our example. What did he do? Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. For those of you that like to take notes, this is our first text today. Luke 4, verse 16 says, And he, that's Jesus, came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as his custom was, his habit that is, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. So as Jesus' custom, his habit to go to church every Sabbath. If I want to follow the example of Jesus, then what must I do? I must go to church every Sabbath. I've had people tell me, well, Pastor, I don't like to go to church anymore because the church is full of hypocrites. And I say, well, that's exactly why you ought to go to church. You need to go show all those hypocrites what a real Christian's like. But let me ask you, were there any hypocrites in the church in Jesus' day? Oh, yes, church full of hypocrites. Not only that, there were people that hated Jesus. There were people that wanted to kill him. He had people that were spying on him. They wanted to accuse him. If anyone had a good reason to stay home, worship God at home alone, start his own home church, so to speak, Jesus did. But is that what he did? No, every Sabbath he was, went to church. And by the way, while we're talking about Jesus' example, let me ask you, when do you think Jesus with his disciples came to church? You suppose he just barely came dragging in about 11 o'clock, just made it for the worship hour, or do you think he also came to Sabbath school? Yeah. How many of you think that Jesus skipped Sabbath school and only came to church? Let me see. How many of you think that Jesus attended both Sabbath school and church? Let me see. He is our example, right? I know in some places, Sabbath school has become sort of an endangered species. The church is full at 11 o'clock for the worship hour, but Sabbath school is just a handful of people. If we want to follow the example of Jesus, we ought to go to both Sabbath school and church. If you'd like another text on how often we ought to go to church, you can put down Acts 17, verse 2, which tells us it was Paul's habit to go to church every Sabbath. I've had people tell me, well, pastor, do I have to go to church to worship God? Can't I just stay home and worship God at home? Let's read the answer to that question from Hebrews chapter 10. There's a Bible answer for that question. Hebrews chapter 10, we will read verse 25. Hebrews 10 verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, some people just sort of stay at home, not coming together, 
but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So as the Sabbath approaches, as the day approaches, we ought to exhort or encourage one another. I'll see you in church this Sabbath. And also as the day of Christ's coming approaches, we ought to be more faithful in attending church. So now let's come back to our question, how often should we go to church? Every Sabbath, and I like to include with that the weekly worship or midweek service as well, the prayer meeting service. We ought to go to church every week, Sabbath, and prayer meeting as well. That brings us to the question, what really is the purpose of going to church? There are at least four reasons why we ought to attend church. And if you're taking notes, you can mark these. The first reason for attending church is for fellowship. Number one, for fellowship. Take your Bible and turn to 1 John 1, verse 3. This is toward the end of the Bible, just before Revelation. 1 John 1, verse 3. The first reason for regular church attendance is for fellowship. Let's read about it here. 1 John 1, verse 3 says, John says, That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So John says the reason why we've told you what we've seen and heard is that you may choose to fellowship with us. I had a lady come to me one time as I was starting a seminar, first night of the seminar. She asked me at the door afterwards, she said, what's the real reason you've come to town for these meetings? What's the real purpose of this prophecy seminar? Like I have some evil motive or something. Well, here's the answer from the Bible. The real reason that we've told you what we've learned about Jesus, about the truths of the Bible, is that you may choose to fellowship with us. That's what John says. What we've seen and heard, we've told you that you may choose to fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. Let's get another text. Come back with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts 2 verse 47. Talking about fellowship. Acts 2. Verse 47. If you're taking notes, we're going to read verse 47 and 41 and 2. Acts 2 verse 47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. How were they added to the church? Go back to verse 41. It says, And they that gladly received his word, Peter's preaching, were baptized. And the same day were added unto them, added unto the church, that is, about 3,000 souls. How were they added? Through the step of baptism. Well, after they were baptized, what did they do? Read the, note, read the next verse. Acts 2.42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and every one of them stayed home and worshipped God alone. Uh, is that what it says? No, that's not what the Bible says. It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers. So after they joined the church, they continued attending church. I've always wondered why anybody would want to join a church if they don't plan to attend the church. What's the point? It would be like getting married and not planning to live together. What would be the purpose of that? So when they joined the church, they were faithful in fellowshipping and attending church. The first reason for regular church attendance is for fellowship. As we sing together, as we pray together, as we fellowship together, we are encouraged in the Christian life, in the Christian journey. And I might mention for those of you who are, have been in the church for some time, we want the new people to feel welcome, right? Yes. 
Now, you new people, you guests, let me, I'm going to give you permission to sleep for just a few moments in the sermon because I want to talk just to the older members. You older church members, when new guests come in, when new members come in, how should we treat them? Let them sit off by themselves. I already have my, my friends, my clique, right? No, we want them to feel welcome. Go sit with them. Make friends with them. We want them to feel like this is their church family, right? Invite them home for a fellowship meal some Sabbath, or if you, maybe if you have meals here every Sabbath. We'll invite them for, for a, a meal Sunday, Sunday lunch. And if they already have an invitation, invite them for the next week or some other time. We want them to feel like this is their church family, this is their church home. Amen? Amen. Now you guests and new members, you can wake back up now. I want to talk to everybody. The first reason for regular church attendance is for fellowship. Sort of like a weekly family reunion. I don't know how you feel about family reunions. Probably had one this week, some of you at least. When the church family, of course, on the Sabbath, the church family reunites together to consider how God is blessed over the past week to share together, to pray together. As we fellowship together, we're encouraged in the Christian life. That's the first reason for regular church attendance. Second reason, number two, is that we may be instructed in the truth. Come with me to Acts 11. 20, 25 and 26. Acts 11, 25 and 6. The second reason for regular church attendance is that we may be instructed in the truth. Acts eleven twenty five 25 and 6 says, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him into, unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church... Notice this is not some stay-at-home type thing. They assembled themselves with the church and, there were, and, the, and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. What did they do? They taught much people. What, what do you think they taught? Truth or tradition? They taught the truth. The second reason for regular church attendance is that we may be instructed in the truth. If the church I've been attending is not teaching me the truth, I have every good reason to ask myself if I should continue attending that church. Because if I listen to error long enough, what's going to happen? I'm going to believe it. That's why God calls His people that are in Babylon. Babylon's all those apostate churches that are breaking God's commandments every week. God calls His people that are in Babylon to what? Come out of her, my people, Revelation 18, verse 4. Come into a church where you're instructed in the truth. That's the second reason for regular church attendance. Third reason is that we may grow spiritually. Come with me to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. If you're taking notes, we're going to read verses 11 to 16. When you get to Ephesians, put a marker in Ephesians. We'll come back to Ephesians a couple more times today. Ephesians 4, we're talking about the third reason for regular church attendance. Number three, that we may grow spiritually. Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12 says, He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What's the body of Christ? That's a church. So these gifts were given to build up and edify the church. If I want to benefit from the gifts that God has given to the church, where must I put myself? At home on my sofa. All right? No. If I want to benefit from the gifts God has given the church, I have to go to church. And by the way, I want to go to the church that has all the gifts, including the gift of prophecy. We talked about that in our seminar. 
Reading on, verse 13 says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature, see here's the growth process, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children, supposed to grow up, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. We'll come back to that verse in a moment. Verse 15 says, but speaking the truth in love may what? May grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So the third reason for regular church attendance is that we may grow spiritually. As we sing together, as we study God's word together, as we pray together, we grow spiritually together. Now, by the way, the church is not just a place to come and feed my spiritual soul and get spiritually fat. If all I do is eat and I never exercise, what's going to happen to me? Well, I'll grow, but it'll be the wrong direction. <laughs> and it's the same spiritually. If all we do is, you know, we feed upon God's word, but we never work for God, we never share what we're learning, what's going to happen? Well, we're, our spiritual arteries are going to get clogged up with spiritual cholesterol. The spiritual cholesterol of selfishness and self-pity. And we might have a spiritual heart attack or a spiritual stroke and die spiritually. The church was ordained for service. A church that's not a working church is what? Is a dying church or a dead church. And so the church is supposed to reach out to the community in service and carrying the gospel to its community. We're supposed to work for the Lord. So as we pray, as we sing, as we study God's word, and as we work together, what happens? We grow together spiritually. The third reason for regular church attendance is for spiritual growth. Let's go back to verse 14 again. Oh, let me read verse 16. We haven't finished that one. Ephesians 4.16 says, From whom the whole body, this is from Christ, he's the head, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. You know what that text tells me? We need every body part in the church, or do we? I mean, you don't need all your body parts, do you? Which one of your body parts would you like to, ha to, to do without? You don't need them all. Which one would you like to get rid of? <laughs> the one that troubles you the most, right? Maybe your stomach, you know, if you get all these stomach problems. What do you, you go down to the doctor and say, Doctor, my stomach's been bothering me so much lately. I wish you'd just take it out, cut it out of this body so I don't have that problem anymore. Is that what you do? <laughs> of course not. Even if your stomach hurts you, you want to keep it. Maybe you get the charcoal or the medicine or whatever you use to try to restore that stomach to health. And it's the same spiritually. When we have a, spiritual, when we have a church member that's spiritually sick, what do we do with them? Get out of here. Get rid of them. Is that what we do? No, we should work to restore that person to spiritual health. Now, by the way, there is a place for cutting cancer out of the body, Right? But usually before the cancer, there's a period of sickness. And so we work to restore that individual to spiritual health. We need everybody, each member of the body. But now go back to verse 14. We'll see the fourth reason for regular church attendance. 
Ephesians 4.14 says that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. The church provides us with the anchor of truth so that we're not blown about by every wind of doctrine. Now that does not mean you might, won't feel any of the winds blowing even in the church, but the church gives you the anchor so that you're not blown away by those winds of doctrine. The fourth reason for regular church attendance is for safety. In fact, the church is likened in one place to a sheepfold. We'll see that in a moment. Outside the fold, there are what? There are dangers. There are wolves. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't any wolves in sheep's clothes inside the church, but we let the shepherd deal with that. Outside the fold, there are dangers. So God brings us into the fold for safety. The fourth reason for regular church attendance is for safety. There you have the four re reasons, purposes, for being a part of a church. Number one was for, for fellowship. Number two, that we may be instructed in the truth. Number three, for spiritual growth. And number four, for safety. As we abide in the church, we abide in Christ. Let's go read that about abiding in Christ. Come with me to John 15. And verse 4, you probably are familiar with this passage, John 15 and verse 4. This is the passage about the true vine and the branches. John 15, verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you, except you abide in me. One of the ways that we abide in Jesus is through regular church fellowship, church attendance. Why is that? Well, let's go to Colossians 1, verse 18, and we'll see why. Come with me to Colossians 1, and we're going to read verse 18. Colossians 1, verse 18. We don't have the page today, I guess, because we're not using the screen, but I hope you can find those books of the New Testament. Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians 1, verse 18. The Bible says... And he, that's Jesus, he is the head of the body. The body is what? The church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So Christ is the head, the church is the body. Give, let me give you another text to prove that. Come back with me to Ephesians. You have your marker in Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 5 this time. We're going to read verse 23. Ephesians 5 verse 23 says... For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the what? Of the church. And he is the savior of the body. So do you have the picture now? Christ is the head. The church is the, is the what? Is the body. If I want to connect myself to Christ who is the head, I must also connect myself to the body, which is the, which is the church. And if I refuse to connect to the body, can I be connected to the head? Of course not. What happens to a body part that's cut off from the body? It dies quickly. My father-in-law is missing one of his fingers. When he was a little boy growing up in Germany, he and his brother, they were out cutting wood, and his brother said, here, you hold the wood, I'll chop. Chopped off my father-in-law's finger. So he's gone through life missing a finger. Now, of course, today we have the technology. If you can get that part soon enough, you can actually sew it back on. I heard of this active that it happened at a Christian boarding school. This was a school where they had very high standards. They didn't allow the boys and the girls to date or hold hands or kiss or anything. 
And this particular school, they had a sawmill. And there was a boy and a girl that were working at the sawmill, and the boy kind of liked the girl, but they couldn't hold hands because that was the school standard. Well, one day there was a terrible accident. Somehow the girl got her hand in the way of the blade, and in a flash cut her hand off. Well, the foreman of the crew, he immediately shut down the entire operation. And they bound up the girl's arm the best they could, jumped in the car to take her to the hospital. And this boy, he liked the girl, so he got in the back seat. He was going to go along. And then the foreman remembered, oh, the hand. So he said to the boy in the back, go back and get that hand. We need to take that with us. And so the boy, he went back, running back into the, into the sawmill place. And sure enough, there was a hand laying down there in the sawdust. It looked awful. He didn't want to touch it. When the hand was connected to the girl, he wanted to hold her hand. But now that it's disconnected from the body, it looks awful. He, he hardly wanted to touch the bloody thing, but he overcame his inhibitions. He picked up that dissevered hand, rushed back to the car. They went to the hospital, and they successfully sewed her hand back on her arm, saved her hand. You can save a body part if it's connected back to the body, but if it stays disconnected very long, what's going to happen? It's going to die. Same spiritually, as in the natural, so in the spiritual. If we want to live and grow, we must abide in Christ. And if we want to connect to the head, we have to also connect to the, to the body, which is the, the church. Almost every seminar I meet people, they say, Pastor, I want to be baptized. I want to join Jesus, but I don't want to join any church. Well, can you do that? That would be sort of like my four fingers on this hand saying, we don't want to be connected to that old body. We just want to be connected to the head. You have these four fingers sticking up out of your head. How would that work? Of course not. If you want to connect to Christ, the head, you must also connect to the body, which is the, the church. You say, Pastor, does that mean that people that aren't church members are lost? Not necessarily. God accepts people based on how they respond to his leading in their lives. I believe there'll be people in heaven that never knew about church, never had an opportunity to connect to the church. You can read about that in Romans 2, verses 14 through 16, where even some heathen that don't know about God, where they're living all the, according to all the truth they know, in the judgment, God accepts them, the Bible tells us. What about a person that can't come to church, maybe because of physical limitations? The church is responsible to reach out to those individuals so that they can stay connected to the body. Now, there are situations probably where the person is so disconnected, cut off from the body, there's no way they can have any connection. Maybe they're in exile in Siberia or something. In those rare instances, God will sustain that individual even though they are separated from the body, the church. But don't miss this. God will not sustain an individual spiritually that willfully separates themselves from the body or refuses to connect to the church body. If I want to connect to Christ the head, I must also connect to the body, which is the church. And if I refuse to connect to the body, can I connect to the head? Not at all. Well, that brings us to the question, does it matter to God what church body I connect to? Well, the answer to that question lies in the answer to the question, does God have a true church? If he does, then that's the one he wants us to connect to, right? Does God have a true church? Let's go to 1 Timothy again. We looked at this already in our seminar. Let's go back to 1 Timothy. And we're going to read chapter 3, verse 15. There is a true church. We'll see that here. 1 Timothy 3, verse 15. Paul is writing to young Timothy. He was a young minister. And he says here in 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, 
But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the what? Church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Does God have a church? Oh, yes. And it's the pillar and the ground of the truth. In other words, God's true church is going to be established upon and based upon the truth. A lot of churches today that are defending tradition. The true church is going to be defending the truth. God has a true church. But just as surely as there's a true one, might there be any counterfeits? Today you can find all over the world counterfeit $100 bills. You know why? Because there are genuine $100 bills all over the world. Just so you can find counterfeit churches all over the world and you can find the true church all over the world. For example, if you were to add up a column of numbers, how many right answers are there? Only one? Oh, yes. How many wrong answers are there? (laughs) An infinity of wrong answers. Just so we can know there's only one true church. In fact, the Bible actually tells us there's one true church. Come back with me to Ephesians. You have your marker in Ephesians. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 4 and 5. And we will see that the Bible actually teaches that there's only one true church, one, one true body. Ephesians 4 verses 4 and 5 says there is how many bodies? One body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Do you know why there's only one true church? Because there's only one Lord, there's only one head. How many bodies do you connect to one head? One. A body with more than one head is a what? Is a beast, yes. <laughs> you remember we've been studying about those beasts in the seminar that some of them had several heads? A body with no head is a what? A corpse. A head with more than one body is a what? It's an impossibility. You won't find that anywhere in the natural world or in the spiritual world. Since there is only one head, who's the head? Jesus, there can be only one true body. There are today at least 34,000 different church bodies. But there's only one head. And so we can know there's only one true body among all the others. Only one true answer if you add up the column of numbers. It's the same spirit. So there's only one true body, one true church. In fact, Jesus himself indicates there's one true church. Come back with me to John 10. This is the story of the Good Shepherd. Our scripture reading from today, John 10, let's read verse 14. John 10, 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Who's the good shepherd? Jesus. Who's the sheep? I trust that's you. Read verse 16 now. John 10, 16 says, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. What would the fold be? Christ is the head. He's the shepherd. His followers, the sheep, that's the followers of Christ. What would the fold be then? Would have to be the body or the church. Jesus says, other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Well, where are they then? They must be in some other fold, some other church. Or outside, lost in the world somewhere. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must what? I must bring and they shall hear my voice and there shall be how many? One fold and one shepherd. So evidently, Jesus himself indicates there's only going to be one true church, one true fold. If you'd like, 
by the way, the Old Testament parallel passage, if you're taking notes, you can put down Ezekiel 34, verse 6, where God says, my sheep, my people are scattered all over the world. And then in Ezekiel 34, verses 11 and 12, God says, I myself will seek my sheep. And then in Ezekiel 34, verse 16, he says, I'm going to bring them again. Bring them to where? Well, it tells us here in John 10, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. Bring to where? Bring to where? Bring to the fold, the church. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. If you are one of Jesus' sheep, and you're not yet in his true fold, you know what the Lord is doing? He's bringing you to that one true fold. I had a man tell me one time, Pastor, I don't like to think about myself as a sheep. To be led around and told what to believe and where to go to church. And I thought to myself, I wonder who was the originator of that attitude. It was the devil in heaven said, I don't want anybody telling me what to do and where to go and what I'm supposed to obey. I want my freedom. God says, okay, I give you your freedom. God gives us the freedom of choice. But if you want true happiness, if you want true freedom, serve God. Surrender your life to God. You won't find freedom in serving sin and serving Satan. If you want true freedom... Surrender your life to Jesus, follow Jesus. But mark this, if you want to follow Jesus, it's going to involve a commitment. True love involves a commitment, right? You married folk, is that right? Suppose, for example, we were at the wedding of John and Sue. And before they go through with the vows, John leans over to Sue and he says, now I want to make something very clear to you, Sue. I don't plan to spend every day with you. I don't plan to spend every night with you because i got to have my freedom. If Sue has any sense at all, what's she going to tell John? Until you're ready to commit yourself to me 100% forsaking all others, I won't marry you. Smart woman, right? <laughs> it's the same spiritually. If you want to follow Jesus, it's going to take a commitment. Amen? Amen. If you want to follow the Christ, it'll take a commitment. But there's only one reason to make that commitment. And what's that reason? Because we love Jesus, there's only one reason to follow the Good Shepherd. There's only one reason to be a part of His true fold, His true church. And that's because you love Him. Now, I thank God He's not left us to wonder which is His true fold, which is His true church. He's given us in His Word the identifying marks of the true church. If you've been coming to our lectures, we studied about those. We talked about those. We found out, number one, God's true church is going to be teaching the truth. We could expect that. And then number two, it would not appear until after 1798. We got that from Revelation chapter 12. When it did appear, it would look like the original church. It's called the remnant. So we went back and we looked at the original church. We saw the original church look for Christ to return, his advent. So God's end time church would look for the advent or the appearing of the Lord. The original church baptized by what method? By immersion. So God's last day church would baptize how? Not by sprinkling. By immersion, the original church kept what day holy? The Sabbath holy. So God's last day church would keep what day holy? The Sabbath holy. The original church taught that death was like a sleep. So God's last day church would teach that death is like a, like a sleep. We saw, number four, that God's true church would be keeping His commandments. Revelation 12, 17. How many are there in the... How many commandments are there in the Ten Commandments? Every, almost every church in this city thinks you ought to keep nine, but how many are there? 
There are ten. And then we saw that God's true church would have the testimony of Jesus. Revelation 12, 17. What's the testimony of Jesus? The spirit of prophecy, Revelation 19, 10. We saw that God's true church would carry the gospel to the whole world because Christ commissioned his followers to take the gospel of the world. We saw that the, the gospel message being carried to the whole world would be the three angels' messages of Revelation 14, 6 through 10 because that's called the everlasting gospel. And then we saw that God's true church would teach people to take care of their, of their body temple, teach a health message. And we saw there's only one church today that meets all eight of those Bible-identifying marks, and that's the Seventh-day Adventist church. Now, it doesn't mean that every Seventh-day Adventist is going to be saved, because there's a lot more to being saved than just being in the true church. There are goats in the fold, right? You can be lost and be in the fold if you're not following the shepherd. But having said that, God does have a true church. And if you are one of his sheep, what is he guiding you to? He's guiding you to that one true fold. Let's go back to John 10 again. Notice verse 27. John 10 verse 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Go back to verse 4. John 10 verse 4, And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him. Why? For they Know his voice. Go to verse 16. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. Have you heard the voice of the great shepherd? If you're one of his sheep, Jesus says, my sheep, hear my voice. Now this is a real consolation for every pastor, every evangelist. Because you know the work of soul winning is the work of joy and a work of sorrow. There's the joy of seeing people respond to the truths of the Bible. There's real joy in that, but there's the sorrow of seeing people turn away. And we've had some of that here. And the consolation for every pastor, every evangelist, my sheep, Jesus says, will hear my voice. By the way, who decides whether or not you're one of Jesus' sheep? That's your choice. God doesn't arbitrarily say, well, I picked that one, I don't pick that one. That's your choice. When you choose to follow Jesus, you are choosing to be one of his sheep. It's your choice. You can choose to be one of his followers. And Jesus says, my sheep, they hear my voice and they will follow me. Have you heard the call of the great shepherd? After picturing all those apostate churches, Revelation 17, the harlot woman with all of her daughters... Then God calls his people to come out of Babylon. Revelation 18, verse 4. Come out of her, my people. That's the call of the good shepherd. And I praise God for those who have heard that call in this seminar. They've decided to come out of Babylon, be a part of a commandment-keeping church. When you come into the true church, God's true church, Seventh-day Adventist church, what might you find? People come into the church and they say, Oh, pastor came in the fold here, and look, they got a sick sheep in here. What is this, some sort of a sheep hospital? I thought this was, church was a sanctuary for saints. They got sick sheep in here. And look over there, Pastor. They got a sheep that looks like they died. Is this a sheep mortuary or something? I mean, that sheep looked like they died. And look what that sheep is eating, Pastor. I thought the sheep manual said you're not supposed to eat those things. And look what that sheep is drinking, Pastor. I thought sheep weren't supposed to drink that stuff. And look what that sheep is wearing, Pastor. you got stuff hanging out of their ears. Uh, I thought the sheep manual says you're not supposed to wear those things. And Pastor, I don't like the way that sheep looks at me. It gives me the, the evil eye. <laughs> don't miss this, friend. Don't follow the sheep. 
Follow who? Follow the shepherd. Now, I hate to tell you this, but it's a fact. Not every sheep in the fold is following the shepherd. If you're following the sheep, you may be led astray. Follow the shepherd. As long as you follow the shepherd, you're safe. Did you know they have goats in the fold? God is going to purify his church. I like to think about the church sort of like a washing machine. Come back with me to Ephesians. We titled our study today, God's Washing Machine. That's the church. The church is the washing machine. Let's read about it here from Ephesians 5. 25 through 27. Here we have the washing machine. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives, verse 25 says, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he may sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water. There you have, you can see baptism symbolized. The washing of water by the word. Verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. A purified church. No spot. God has used the spiritual spot remover. Ladies, can you identify? I know you gentlemen, you don't do laundry, so this might not be real familiar to you. But ladies, the spot remover, do you use that? Yes. And he's taken the church to the ironing board. He's ironed out all the wrinkles. I like to think of the church like a washing machine where sinners get cleansed. Is that a pleasant process to be in the washing machine? Ladies, you can identify with this. When you open up the lid to your washing machine, there's something right in the middle of that washing machine. What's that thing called? An agitator. Every church has one. The church is like a washing machine. And some of these new washing machines, they have dual-action agitators. And some churches have these dual-action agitators. Some churches have multiple agitators. And it might not be a pleasant process. You get stuck in the church. You enter the church and you feel the agitation and the going one way and then the other way. And you feel the soap and the suds cutting away the sin in your life. Not a pleasant process. I can just imagine the, sh the shirt, that high-class shirt that thinks so much of itself. It gets some dirt on it. So it gets stuck in the washing machine, in the church. And pretty soon it feels the agitation of being sloshed around. The, and the soap and the suds are cutting away at the sin in the shirt's life. And then suddenly the shirt finds itself slung up against these dirty trousers. And the shirt says, whew, where did you come from? I didn't think they put stuff like you in here. If you're in here, I'm getting out of here. Shirt crawls out of the washing machine. The best thing for the shirt is to stay in the washing machine. Let God clean you up. Don't miss this. Someday God himself will sort the laundry. That's not your job. That's God's job. And when God gets done sorting the laundry, I want to be clean. Amen? I want to be in the church. Stay in the washing machine. Let God clean you up. God is going to separate the sheep from the goats. Have you read that in Matthew 25? Do you know the difference between a sheep and... And a goat. A sheep will follow the shepherd. You know a good thing about goats? <laughs> Some of you do. When I grew up on the family farm back in Ohio, we raised goats. And I learned a lot about goats. We found out the goat is the most stubborn, obnoxious, independent, free-will-thinking, rebellious, obstinate animal of any animal on the family farm. A goat, you tie him up, he's got one thought in mind. How can I get loose? 
You put him on one side of a fence, he's got one object. How can I get through the fence, over the fence, under the, around the fence? I want on the other side. You tell a goat, don't eat it, he says, I'm going to taste it. You tell a goat, don't get up on that, he says, I want to get up there. And not only that, goats, they like to butt. I know I got butted many times when I was growing up on the farm in Ohio. And did you know there are goats in the church? You know how you can spot a goat in the church? A goat has this attitude. I know the Bible says that, but. I know that's what I ought to do, but. I heard one preacher say some Christians are going to slide all the way into hell on their butts. If God says it, let's do it. No ifs, ands, or buts. Amen? Stay in the washing machine. Let God clean you up. Did you know they have goats in the church? I hope you're not one of them. That's why don't follow the sheep or even the goats. Follow who? Follow the shepherd. Let's go back to, to John 10 again. John 10, the assurance of salvation for those who follow the shepherd. John 10, verses 27 through 29. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And then verse 29, My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. As long as you follow Jesus... You have a double assurance of salvation. You're in Jesus' hands and you're in the Father's hands as long as you want, as long as you follow the shepherd. That's why Paul says in Romans there, who shall separate us from the love of God? I am persuaded that neither height nor depth nor angels nor principalities nor things to come nor, nor any other creature shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. As long as you follow Jesus safe. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.